This is Wes. And this is Adam. We are from the Back Patio Network, and this is Comic Book Cabinets. This week, we are covering Moon Knight. And not only are we covering Moon Knight, but we're going to cover the fuddled mess that is his mind. <laughs> fuddled. That is way better than the word I was thinking in my head. Yes. This is one messed up character. So are you ready to dive right in? I mean, let's just deep dive into it, man, because there is no better way to get started with Moon Knight. The very first appearance of Moon Knight was in a different comic book series called Werewolf 32 and 33. But his very first solo run, Volume 1 of Moon Knight, he was created by Doug Munch. The artist was Bill Sankowitz, the inkers Bill and Frank Sankowitz, the letterer T. Orzachowski, colorist by B. Sharon, editor Denny O'Neill, one of my favorite people from reading all these comics, and supervisor Jim Shooter. And that is his original creative team, like on his very first own series. It's not the creating team on Werewolf number 32 and 33, correct? Correct. Although Doug Munch was the writer on Werewolf that created Moon Knight. Gotcha. That's awesome. So he started in a completely different series, like a lot of the heroes we've been reading. And I guess people loved him so much, or they were at least intrigued by him enough, that it spawned his own universe, really. Yeah, in Werewolf, he was actually created sort of as an antagonist for Werewolf, uh, Jack Russell is the werewolf's name. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah, Jack Russell. yeah they tried. They tried really yeah. hard. So he was an antagonist there. But then the people loved him, so they created and turned him into a giant hero. So in the origin story that was presented in Werewolf number 32 and number 33 has actually carried forward into the future, all the way into the modern running of Moon Knight. So we'll actually talk a little bit about what happened in Werewolf numbers 32 and 33. So in Werewolf 32 and 33, we have this character who has been bitten by a werewolf. I guess he's almost kind of an anti-hero, Jack Russell, would you say? He definitely. I mean, he's the hero of his comic book series, but he's definitely more of an anti-hero. Yeah, I mean, he can't really control his powers. He's turning into werewolves and hurting people, and that's kind of his stigma throughout the issues that we've read. He doesn't want to hurt people, but he doesn't have a choice. Jack Russell, the human, doesn't want to hurt Jack Russell, the werewolf, doesn't care. Right. And of course, there's always some big evil committee in all of these older comic books that want to capture the anti-hero or capture the hero or the villain and make them do their bidding. And that's exactly what's going on. So we're introduced to Mark Spector, who has been hired as a mercenary to capture the werewolf for the committee. Mark Spector shows up. The committee hands him this costume and says, you will be Moon Knight from now on. And uh, they hand him the costume and the silver tools. So Mark goes out. He fights the werewolf. He wins. He brings the werewolf back to the committee. The committee pays him. Yeah, they, they do pay him, but they don't want to pay him until they've seen him turn into a werewolf. Exactly. And the whole time, poor Jack Russell is like, oh, gosh, I don't want to do this. I don't want to hurt anybody. Uh, please let me out. You know, he's in this cage. And the committee also has some of his other family members and friends. And that's when Mark Spector kind of realizes, like, man, this poor guy, like, he's just being taken advantage of. He's not really a bad dude. He feels empathy for the werewolf. Yeah. And all of a sudden, he sees the committee as the bad guys, but he still takes their money. So all $10,000. Yeah, it. he takes their money, and he lets the werewolf out, and the werewolf attacks him and the committee, and there's kind of this like battle royale that's happening between the committee and the werewolf and Moon Knight, and they he ends up winning. Who's he? Moon Knight wins? Moon Knight, Jack Russell wins. I mean, like, I would say they both win. The committee is decimated at this point. They're all killed off. 
it comes up in a later series of their sons want to reform the committee because their fathers failed and they were all killed by the werewolf and Moon Knight. Yeah, and that is his origin story. And they reference this stupid werewolf back to back to back. I, I, and I've talked to Wes about this. I don't really get why they mentioned the werewolf. And I think I narrowed down. The reason I don't get it is because this may be one of the only comic book superhero characters that it references his origin story all the time. All the time. The werewolf shows up. Whether it's a villain that reshows him a thing or something, the werewolf is always present. Yeah, and it's just, if you did not know about this origin story and you were to go and read current issues today, you'd be like, why is there this werewolf issue? Why is the werewolf important? Right. You should always know the backstory, though. Oh, yeah. It's well, that's what we're here. We're helping people learn the backstories. And now on to the waxing and waning so far of Moon Knight. So you got to understand something about Moon Knight. He kind of is comprised of a team of people. Like, not only does he have all these different personalities, such as Mark Spector, Jake Lockley, Stephen Grant, Moon Knight himself, Conchu sometimes, but he also relies on a lot of people to get done what he is trying to accomplish, which is just make the world a better place for the most part. And that includes one of his best friends, Frenchie, who is his pilot. Pilot, helicopter guy, uh, scientist sometimes, he seems to invent things, and he assists Moon Knight in capturing bad guys. Yeah, uh, and then you've got Marlene, who is specifically Stephen Grant's girlfriend, and also someone that is a big recurring character from his background story that we're going to explain here shortly. And then you have Gina, who is the owner-slash-operator-slash-waitress of the diner that one of his other personalities likes to go to to find information. And then you've got Ricky and Ray, who are Gina's sons, who help Moon Knight find kind of information about random people throughout the city. And then you have this random homeless guy who hangs out in the diner, doesn't have any money, but he's just always there. And I love the way they draw him in the early comics. There's just flies all the way around him, just always buzzing around. There's these little house flies. Uh, his name is Crawley, and he always knows what's happening in the underground and gives Moon Knight just that little bit of information to go track the bad guy down. Yeah, he. I almost wonder if this is like a Crowley-like character from Supernatural. You know what I mean? That name shows up all the time, and it's usually a associated with the devil it seems like yeah but just like this guy just reminds me of someone that would be like oh well sell me your soul and i'll tell you anything you need to know <laughs> you know <laughs> exactly uh, or uh good omens from uh neil gaiman yeah something like that so we've told you his original team let's talk to you a little bit about the villains that you're going to be encountering when you read moon knight Oh, that comes into Bushman, who is uh, really and truly the first villain, the first person that Mark Spector encounters that he has to overcome. Yeah, uh, Bushman is a real nasty guy. Basically, he's just your pretty stereotypical mercenary, drug lord. You name it, this dude's into it. Like, he's a bad guy. He's got a painted face. He has gold teeth. He carries a gun. He actually winds up killing Mark Spector in the very beginning. Yes. Real bad dude. Absolutely. And, of course, you've got the committee, who we just told you about. They recur every once in a while. we got a really cool character named Morpheus, who I wonder, you know, with this being the Marvel Universe, I often wonder if Morpheus is a bit of a mutant. Uh, he is able to kind of control people's dreams he has this ability where he, as long as he's not sleeping, his undreamt dreams, he can turn into your realities, which sounds super X-Men-y to me. He has some sort of ability to use a psychic power to attack other people with. Yeah. And it's apparently really bad. Then you visit Stained Glass Scarlet, who started as a nun, but now she kills people wantonly, it feels like. Yeah, and you've got Black Spectre, who is Moon Knight, but is the evil version of him. So he is 
in a completely dark suit and he's evil. Like he he's also a politician that is running for governor and mayor. And I mean, the, the Black Spectre character is really just kind of complicated. He's everything. <laughs> we'll have to encounter this guy in a later uh, later episode of the comic book cabinet. And then finally, we are introduced to a brand new villain, the Sun King, in uh, the newest series of runs, which we are calling, I think uh, Marvel calls the Marvel Legacy. It's issue number 188 for Moon Knight. Yeah, and that is the most recent series that has started up, and it's, it's really great. Uh, I've been reading it. Love it. Absolutely love it. So let's get right into Mark Spector. The very beginning, the origin story of Moon Knight as Mark Spector. So Mark Spector is a mercenary. He's a boxer, a Marine, a general badass character. And uh, he's hired by Bushman to accomplish whatever task these mercenaries need to do. And right now, Bushman wants to go and raid a tomb in Egypt. So there's been this tomb that's been discovered by a professor and his daughter, and it is the Tomb of Seti. And in the Tomb of Seti is the Statue of Khonshu, which is what makes Mark Spector really who he is. But essentially, Bushman tells him, hey, you got to murder some of these people. We're going to go steal all the treasure. And of course, Mark Spector, being the upstanding man that he is, says, no, I don't think I want to this time. And Bushman fights him. Awesome fight, and every time that this story has been told, which they tell it over and over and over, there is always some artist that is able to draw an incredible fight between the two of them. And in the end, Bushman is actually able to kill or extremely injure Mark Spector such that he will die from the wounds later. So Mark Spector dead, crawling through the desert, left for dead. Uh, The original civilians that found the tomb of the Pharaoh Seti find him in the desert. Uh, It turns out that the civilians that... Mark Spector is supposed to kill was the professor that found it and his daughter Marlene. Marlene gets away thanks to Mark Spector. They find him in the desert, they bring him in, and he's dead. They find him dead in the desert. Yeah, and they always find him dead. In fact, they always pronounce him dead on the spot. It seems like in every time they've retold this story, the civilians or there's a doctor or Marlene checks his heart rate and officially, yes, Mark Spector is dead. And then miraculously, he's back to life. And when he wakes up, He looks at the statue that's in this tomb that has just been opened by these civilians, and he's like, oh, that's Khonshu, the god of judgment or vengeance vengeance or whatever changes uh, depending on who's telling the story of what type of god Khonshu actually is, but he always knows who Khonshu is. How does this guy who's a mercenary know who Khonshu is? Yeah, well, and and there's always this really funny scene, too, where... Uh, Marlene is like, oh, Mark, you're not dead. And he goes, I am no more dead than that statue there. And he steals his cape. Like, the statue's <laughs> wearing a cape. Apparently, and he puts it on. It's not a carved marble statue cape. It's a real It's cape. a real cape. So this carved marble statue had a cape on it for millennia that survived. Just let that sink in. It's a comic book, man. <laughs> so after he wakes up, he has made a bunch of money as a mercenary. They go. He goes back to the States. He brings Marlene with them. They become lovers of some sort. Yeah. And Mark Spector creates three separate personalities that we talked about before. It's Stephen Grant, Jake Lockley, and Moon Knight. Yeah, so you've got Stephen Grant, who is your Playboy millionaire. I mean, that's really what he is. You have Jake Lockley, who is a taxi cab driver, and then you've got Mark Spector, who just seems to be the mercenary. I mean, he's the, the, the muscle behind all of it, I guess. And this seems like a great time to bring up the fact a lot of people compare Moon Knight 
to Batman from DC. And you know, I just don't get that. Like, I see that all the time. Whenever we were researching more about Moon Knight, I, I constantly saw that. Marvel's Batman. Nothing about this reminds me of Batman at all. All right, so one of the major reasons why this is even the case, uh, Bill Sankowitz, the original artist of Moon Knight back in the 60s, is heavily influenced by Neil Adams from DC, who drew Batman and Green Arrow. So the artwork is extremely similar already. You've got a rich guy with fun toys that take tracks down villains. Sure. Who are you talking about? Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, Moon but- Knight or Batman? Or Tony Stark. Ooh. <laughs> or Hank Pym. I mean, like, I can sit here and name a bunch of them, but I see what you're saying. I, I get it. Uh, I guess I just think that the it's like Batman with more steps. Exactly. And a lot more complications, quite yeah. frankly. Yeah. Speaking of complications, man, let's just dive right into volume one. Volume one of Moon Knight. I can break it down for you in one sentence. All right, I'm listening. Easy shtick for every issue. He appears as Moon Knight. He finds out he needs to track down a bad guy, so he turns into Jake Lockley. He finds some information. Maybe he turns into Stephen Grant to find some. Maybe he has to go and deal with some other issue as Stephen Grant. Uh, He works with Marlene to get access to the bad guy, and then he turns back into Moon Knight to save the day. Yeah. Yeah, that is literally pretty much word for word. I mean, we read probably the first 10, 15 issues of Volume 1. Every single one of them starts off just like that and ends just like that. Bad guy. Capture the bad guy. Good to go. Yeah. Uh, And I think it's funny that each individual personality has their own reason for being like Jake Lockley is able to go and get extra information. Stephen Grant gives him access to the the situation he needs to be in. You know what I mean? Uh, But I I really want to emphasize here in volume one, it doesn't seem like he really has personality disorders. Not at all. He is. He chooses to be each of these characters. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I need to go find information. I turn into Jake Lockley, the cabbie who drives around the city, and I can go to Gina's Cafe Diner and talk to Crowley and Gina and find out what I need to find out. It is much more of that Bruce Wayne Batman kind of scenario where he's choosing to be one of the other because they have a specific set of skills. Exactly. So the series finally has to come to an end due to sales, maybe? Or actually, I think there's a letter from Denny O'Neill. Oh my gosh, there is a beautiful, heartfelt letter from Denny O'Neill, and I really, really loved reading it. I've been following Denny O'Neill for a long time now, and I had not read this previously, so it was great getting to just see his kind of mindset behind it. But essentially, he wanted to take Moon Knight back and make it for a broader audience. My understanding is, is that they had been selling Moon Knight to very specific comic stores, and it had been doing relatively well, but they weren't selling a whole lot of it because of its exclusivity. So they wanted to reboot Moon Knight, take it out of these specialty comic book shops, and put it into a larger broad audience. And basically give it to everybody, yeah. So the last issue... You could describe it as a resurrection story. He has to fight his zombie of a father that was resurrected by Zohar, who was his father's assistant. Right. And they fight, and finally he has to actually fight his father, and he wins, thanks to Marlene wipes off the Hebrew letters off of his father's forehead. That brought him back to life. Right, so he's no longer a zombie, and he comes to the terms with being Moon Knight. He decides, I will no longer be Moon Knight. I don't need the cape. I'm just going to be Stephen Grant with Marlene and live my life and love it. Yeah, and that is what leads us directly into Volume 2, where we see, basically, Mark Spector is the one that is actually auctioning off the statue of Khonshu. So it's kind of interesting because, depending on who's writing it, he is called Mark or he's called Stephen Grant. Like We're not sure what his prime personality is, would you say, in, in, in Volume 2, really? I can't remember. 
I, it, it was, I've read the whole issue, the whole six issue series twice now, and I still can't remember off yeah. the top of my head, my head who is who. But it's Mark Spector as Stephen Grant, as Moon Knight, as Jake Lockley. Right. To, I mean, to go and auction off this statue. Yeah, they're all together. Yeah, I mean, you're right. They're all there, right? So it's him and Marlene. They auction off the statue, and it seems like a couple of days go by. Everything's hunky dory. And then all of a sudden, these priests of Khonshu appear to him in a dream. And when I say him, I'm talking about Stephen Grant at this point. Or maybe it's Mark Spector. In bed with Marlene, it's one of the two. Right. And basically, they're calling him back to Egypt and saying, like, we need you to reprise your role of Moon Knight. And so he, and it's it's strange because he has this unrelinquishing need to go back to Egypt. Like, when he tries to ignore them, he has all of these physical ailments. He has a splitting headache, and he just can't function with it. So he decides he has to go to Egypt, even though Marlene gives him that ultimatum who says, you go to Egypt, I'm leaving you. We're done. Yeah, no more. I will no longer stand by your side. But he can't help it. He has to go back to Egypt. So, so can he- we can we talk, before you go on, can we talk about these priests for just a second? Yeah, yeah. These priests, they always show them as like three heads in the sky overlooking Mark Spector. Right. And who do they remind you of? I don't know, Wes. Who do they remind me of? <laughs> I bet they remind you of the Guardians of Oa. Oh, yeah, from totally. From DC's world. The, it is kind of a Guardians of Oa thing. There are several times in this series where Mark wants to do something for his own gain, and they're like, hey, now... No selfish motives here. You You're, must be Moon Knight. Khonshu has given these powers. You have to be selfless with these powers. Yeah, it is very Guardians of Oa, and they are kind of like these all-knowing priests. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. They're like, they show him visions of these people he has to go find in order to combat evil in the world. Yeah. That being said, though, these are the only time you see the priests of Khonshu. They're I, only in this volume two. It's a six-issue miniseries. We had to be very selective on what we read, otherwise we'd be at this for months before we could even record sure. this episode. So we skipped volumes three and four and some other stuff. So maybe they show up at some point. Perhaps. I have a feeling we went and read the most recent issue. They don't show up there. No, they don't. But this is the first time where the Khonshu presence, I guess, has been confirmed. Like he is a god that is interacting with Mark Spector, from what we can tell, because there are now third-party sources, which are these priests, giving him powers, giving him his suit. He no longer has these weird werewolf powers, because if you remember... In volume one, he had werewolf powers from where he like had werewolf saliva dripped into his blood. But now the priests are saying, oh, no, that wasn't what was going on. It's actually the power of Khonshu, and it's not your werewolf stuff. So they kind of retcon a bunch of stuff as far as the werewolf thing goes. But now he's really strong due to the power of Khonshu's, and his powers wax and wane based off the cycle of the moon. So there's this really kind of interesting... I don't even know that I would call it interesting as much as it's almost annoying for Mark. He has to figure out how hard he has to hit somebody based off what period of the moon cycle it is. It is almost as bad as Aquaman only being able to fight in the water. Yeah. (laughs) He can only fight at night. Like during the day, he's just a regular normal dude. Right. Until the moon comes up and now you better watch out or he'll punch you through a glass wall. Sure. Well, I mean, but only if it's like a full moon. If it's just a crescent of a moon, he doesn't have nearly as much power. So, and he brings that up several times in this series. Like, oh, well, what cycle is the moon in? Because I need to know how hard to hit this guy. Can you imagine? That would be but, awful. And he, But he, it shows him going through a very scientific process to determine how hard he needs to hit based on that. So yeah. he, apparently Mark Spector is still a really smart guy. Oh, yeah, you'd have to be. But yeah, that's really it. I mean, each individual issue deals with a different villain, uh, but this is just a reintroduction of Moon Knight for the wide world populace, I guess you could say. And we had talked in volume one, he was a teen. 
He yeah. has the, his team stripped away from him in volume two. He doesn't really have Gina. He doesn't have Crowley that he goes finds. And Marlene has left him. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. I mean, it's you can tell that this was under a different writer. It's very different style. So, Adam, out of all the six issues of The Fist of Khonshu, what was your favorite villain? Uh, I got to say, my favorite villain was a pirate named Bluebeard. It showed up in issue number four. <laughs> I was taking notes as I was reading these issues, and I wrote something like, and there's a GD pirate on the GD cover. How freaking awesome. Yeah, and that's, I mean, he's basically Blackbeard, but with blue hair. It's uh, Bluebeard. It's Bluebeard. And the whole idea behind Bluebeard is that he was a scientist that found some sort of like telepathy and he wanted to prove it. He was sorry. He's not a scientist. He's a journalist that is trying to prove this source of telepathy. Neuron rays. Neuron rays. Right. And the person that was editing the science journal was like, well, this is a bunch of hooey. Kicks him off, makes him write something he doesn't want to write. So he decides to prove it by kidnapping powerful women, one of them being his editor. And Moon Knight, of course, comes in and saves the day. Oh, thank goodness. Right. I love, uh, as part of Bluebeard, I love that his neuron rays came from uh, a ring of skeleton keys that he carried around. Yeah. Yeah, it was really goofy, but I really enjoyed it because it was just so kind of out there, you know? Uh, what about you, Wes? What was your favorite? I loved Morpheus as the villain in one of these, and this is the second time Moon Knight has encountered Morpheus. In a previous issue, Morpheus had come in and killed, I think it's Marlene's sister. So we already know how powerful Morpheus can be. He can channel this psychic energy and attack you with it, as well as give other people the ability to reconstruct your reality. Yeah, Morpheus is really, really cool. So he has to go in and fight Morpheus. He's somehow snuck awake inside of a, a hospital where they're trying to keep him knocked out, but there's a nurse's strike, so they get the medicine messed up because the dude's been in a coma for... Anyway, so Morpheus is awake. He goes to the psych ward, recruits some people, bad things happen. Moon Knight has to go in and save the day. Marlene gets captured by Morpheus. Of course. Morpheus is going to target Marlene because he's from a past issue. And finally, I think Moon Knight uses tear gas and knocks out the people. And then he uses his scarab darts coated in this drug to knock out Morpheus. And we win. Yeah. Moon Knight wins the Oliver. But Morpheus, his uh, ability to reconstruct reality allows for some really fun artwork throughout that issue. Yeah, and it even allows for some really great storytelling in general in all of these comics with Morpheus and Moon Knight because he, he causes Moon Knight or Mark Spector to constantly question his reality. On, on top of all of the issues he already has, like I imagine that that just adds an extra layer, which is really great. And in our research of Moon Knight, uh, several people agree that uh, The Fist of Conchu, Volume 2, is the introduction of actual psychological problems with Mark Spector. Yeah. That it's actually different personalities, and he suffers from some sort of either schizophrenia or personality disorder. I really didn't pull that from I, reading the issues. I didn't really either. I have to agree. It seems to me the only thing that indicates that is the priest constantly showing up to him and like this physical ailments, like these physical issues he runs into when he ignores them. Other than that, though, he still actively is choosing to be Jake Lockley, from what I can tell. It's what it appears to me as well, but I also don't want to argue with the entire internet. No, me either. Much more of them than there are of us. <laughs> <laughs> The next issue, the next series that they open up for Moon Knight is Mark Spector Moon Knight. Didn't really read a lot of this at all. We went back and kind of traced down. It's the 90s classic artwork. It's a little confusing, a little hard to read at times. Uh, but the final issue is Moon Knight sacrificing himself to defeat 
a computer program. Right, and the computer program's name is Seth? Seth, and it's going to blow up the world, but Moon Knight's able to go in and kind of isolate the explosion, so he saves the world, but Moon Knight is dead at the end of the 60-issue run of Mark Spector Moon Knight. And of course, like in all comic book fashion, he's resurrected. In a famous series called Resurrection Wars. I wonder what's going to happen here. Yeah. He's resurrected. That, that's exactly <laughs> what happens. He's resurrected in Resurrection Wars of all titles. What a great one, right? Yeah. So he's brought back to life. Uh, there's a weird journey where he has to go from the underworld back into the real world as these different personalities that he's fighting with. Yeah, and it seems like the whole reason he's been resurrected is basically to battle this new god set that has been found. And Con I guess he's like an uh, an enemy of Conchu. Yeah, Conchu has brought his uh, champion back to battle set. It, come to find out, it's Morpheus working with Bushmen trying to cause global war. Because why not? Cause right. global war. Cause uh, insurrection to happen. And you can't really tell if it's Morpheus bringing Set back and making him appear real to Moon Knight or if Set is real. Yeah. And you and I have actually had this conversation a few times now because I was under the impression that Set was real. He was another god just like Khonshu. And he came back, and Khonshu brought back his warrior, and they kind of duked it out. But you had introduced this idea to me that Set was maybe discovered, like the actual statue of Set was discovered, but then Morpheus was causing reality to bend and make it seem like Set was real. So I'm really not sure. Uh, either way, it could go both ways. I could argue it one way. You could argue it the other. Maybe yeah. one day we'll have a, uh, a Set and Khonshu off, and we can decide <laughs> what is actually real. That'll be a bonus episode later on down the road. I would love that, yeah, because there's a lot of incriminating evidence that makes me think Set is real. And there's a lot of incriminating evidence to show that Morpheus is a badass. Yeah, yeah, no, Morpheus is a badass. There's no doubt about that. But in the end... Moon Knight wins, because that's what happens in superhero stories. Yeah, and he gets back with Marlene and Frenchie and the whole gang. The whole gang's back together, thank goodness. Uh, I believe Resurrection Wars was actually written by Doug Munch. Yes. Is one of the reasons why. Doug Munch loves to bring that team back together. Yeah, and it, you can tell. it. This is I feel like this is really, truly his baby. You know what I mean? Definitely. And then you have another 20 years that we've kind of, sort of, glossed over. Uh, it's volumes three, four, and five. Moon Knight's one of those series of superheroes that gets brought back and then canceled due to sales. He, some of the things that happen in those series, you get introduced to the second Midnight Man, who becomes Moon Knight's sidekick. Yeah, and after that, there's a, actually a really awesome series that Bendis wrote that I really highly recommend reading, where he has an Ultron head, and he has to deal with some Superhero Registration Act issues. Like, There's a lot that Moon Knight gets brought into. He's made a West Coast Avenger. Uh, he is a pretty big character in the Marvel history, really. But that brings us up to just about the modern day with a series written by Lemire. Um, and it is such a good series. It's, it's just his traditional writing. I mean, everything about that guy, everything he writes is so good. So you've read Lemire before. I this wasn't your first author. author. Okay. No, 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 no. I love this author. I, he, just, he just finished a series maybe six months ago called Life After, I think, or Death After. That was really, really good. I really enjoyed it a lot. Lemire writes some great stuff. And I got to tell you, after reading this series, 
I love him. Yeah, it's I can so see confusing. The storytelling is amazing. You're never really sure what's going to happen. It's A, B, C, D, and it's just all over the place. And I love that because it makes you. He forces you to read. Yeah. Some of the older comics we read, I can flip through them. I can read page one. I can read the last page and kind of guess what happens in between. Sure. But with this one, I, there's no way you could do that. I tried to skip through it, and then I was confused. Every third page was a different scene, and I had no idea what was going on. Yeah. Because not only is Lemire apparently a really great writer that forces you to read, but then you have a character that has four different personalities, and you have no idea why he's in one, two, or three. Right, yeah, and, and the way that he actually writes them is just done so well, because they each really... It seems like he knew their personalities well enough that he could write each of them differently, so you can really tell... Who's who when they're talking? You know what I mean? And the artist on this series? It's not just the writing, though. The artwork lets oh you differentiate God. between which character he's in yeah. right at that moment. Because every time he changes his personalities, it is a completely different art style. It's and phenomenal. Beautiful. Yes. So Jake Lockley is this epic noir four-color series with really broad strokes and thin lines. Then you have Stephen Grant, who who's just kind of like that modern art style for most comic books now. Very simplistic, and yeah. I love this new art style. I'm so happy this is what they have gone with. Yeah, and then, of course, you've got like this moon space mark. They, they introduce, moon. I'm calling him Moon Mark. Moon Mark. I like Moon Mark quite a bit. And he's uh, he appears to be classic 90s art style. Yeah. So a lot of heavy lines, the a lot of small artwork, and everything's kind of jammed. They cram a lot of information into just a few panels. Yes. And this is the series where, as far as I'm concerned, at least for what we've read, it is the introduction of the true multiple personalities. I believe they call it Disassociative Identity Disorder. D.I.D. Uh, and this is all of like Moon Knight's different personalities. And this hits heavy because every time he transitions, it's when he can't deal with what's happening in the current moment. And it's like, okay, Jake Lockley's going to have to take over or Stephen Grant's going to have to take over. I mean, it's it, it really, truly feels... Like there is some sort of personality issue happening here. And it's like he wakes up. He has no idea the switches right. are really even happening. He's so confused every time it switches personalities. Completely different setting, location, everything, time. And he's confused. He has and no idea what's going on or why he's there. But then he just continues on with life. Yeah, and there are all these gaps in his memory. It's really interesting. So don't skip through the Lemire series if you read this. Read it page by page by page. Yes. Because otherwise you will get lost. So are you ready to tackle the Lemire series? Of Moon Knight. Let's do this. It opens with Mark Spector in a hospital being interviewed by Dr. Emmett. And he's talking about being Moon Knight while Moon Knight is on the TV behind him. And she has to kind of convince him that like Moon Knight is all in your head. And he sees him on the, he sees Moon Knight on the TV and is thinking, well, he's got to be like, I'm right here. Moon Knight's on the TV up there. I, we can't be in two places at once. There's no way this is right. But during the interview, he steals a pen from Dr. Emmett, goes back to his room, tears up his sheets, wrap them around his head, and he draws this Moon Knight, the crescent symbol yeah. on his forehead. And he kind of like draws in these eye sockets. It's it's uh, crazy. It is, but it works or it doesn't work. I'm not really sure at this yeah. point. Uh, but when he does that, the orderlies, Billy and Bobby, who are extremely abusive orderlies. Yeah, they they like beat him up and they shock him. They're, they're really awful to him as far as we can tell. It's the worst version of a psychiatric hospital you could possibly be in. But when he wraps that and he becomes Moon Knight, he sees them... He calls it their true faces. Right. So and he sees jackal heads. Jackal heads. Oh, and Dr. So cool. Emmett becomes Dr. Amut, who is a crocodile-headed god of Egypt. Right. 
And it's really something else because it seems like he thinks that that is the reality he's in. Like when he puts on the Moon Knight mask that he's created for himself, that is his reality. So he, after he wraps himself up and realizes the jackal heads and he sees them for who they really are, he decides he wants to break free and he runs out and he gets to the roof. That's where he's, this entire time, he's being spoken to by Khonshu. Right. Who's telling him to break free and get out and go up. He gets to the roof, looks out over the city where the hospital's located. He's in New York, but it's not the New York he recognizes. It's a very strange, like, post-apocalyptic New York where it kind of looks like sands of Egypt have invaded. It's there's very different. Huge, there's a huge pyramid in the background. Yeah. And there's these creatures with jackal heads flying throughout the city. Yeah, it is something else. And then the orderlies show up. They used to do them. They rip off his mask. And suddenly they're humans again. Everyone's humans again. It's like he's back into this delusional area of his brain where things aren't quite what they seem to be. And New York is regular. Right. When he looks out over, it's and no more sands. That's almost what makes this really difficult to read is because you never know which reality is true. Like, you don't know really which one is supposed to be the real one, if that makes sense. Exactly. This entire time, it could be one or the other. They never really say, this is the right way. They don't like... In other issues and other stories, you would have a second story that runs parallel to this one to show you the real world. Right. Like either Marlene or somebody. Or Dr. Emmett or something like that. Something, some other scene to establish this is the real world. So when he's doing this, this is what he sees. But when he's in this version, this is all in his mind. Right. They never establish that. It could be one or the other. You're confused. The entire, it's a 14 issue series. And you're never sure. Yeah, you're not really ever sure. Even when it ends, you're not really too sure. Uh, but we see Mark being spoken to by Khonshu in this other void, this location that's kind of out of time and space. And Khonshu's basically telling him, like, hey, Mark, you know, you've always kind of had a weak mind, bud. Like, let me take over for you. Like, I could use your body. Let, let me help you out. We all know you've always been this way. So I will help you out. Yeah, and he kind of masks it with the idea that there is this other god named Seth taking over and that he needs to break free of the hospital to fight Seth and he needs to let Khonshu take over to help him with that. And he winds up meeting his original crew in this series. It's really kind of demented. Isn't it? If, I think so. I mean, like, I've always had these fears of, like, waking up in a <laughs> mental institution and all of the people I consider my best friends just being the people next door. And, and that's what happens in this. And your entire life has all just been in your head. Yeah. It's a really crazy way to think because he winds up meeting Crawley, Marlene, Frenchie, and Gina all are of all them. in the hospital together with him. And they're all in there for different reasons. That totally makes sense, too. I, it's just, yeah, I don't know. It really, it gives me, like, uh, the heebie-jeebies, you know? So he takes Conchu's advice, and he decides to escape the hospital with his buddies. Yeah. And he refuses to leave anybody behind. Marlene is completely knocked out. She's in a coma, but he refuses to leave her behind. So Frenchie shows up with a costume, so he becomes Mr. Knight. Right. And so the entire time, he's been this classic superhero Moon Knight with the cape and the tights and the belt of tools and with a cowl and a thing over his face. With Mr. Knight? Oh, I love this new costume. It's he, he's awesome. a suit and tie. Yeah, he's it's clean. He's got these nice gloves on. It looks like Mickey Mouse gloves. It's just Mark Spector in a really nice clean white suit. And he's uh, he's ready to tackle the world. They The yep. four of them escape down into the subway because Crowley, of course, has the information of how to be free. Of course he does. Crowley knows everything. Crowley is like the know-it-all guy, you know? 
Uh, but they're all able to escape. It's this really insidious adventure, really, where he's leaving the hospital and one by one, something is happening to each one of his friends. They have to attack mummies at one point. Yeah. Uh, they, uh, they have to cross over a stream to escape the hospital that they're in. Uh, they meet Anubis. And Anubis basically says, I, I can't allow you to pass, but if you're going to pass, you're going to have to, one of you will have to sacrifice yourselves. You're going to have to give me a soul to hold on to. And Crawley steps up. Yeah, after Anubis takes Crawley's soul, we're then, we see this really awful incident happen with Frenchie and Mark Spector, where they're trying to get away from this police officer. Police officer turns into Sobek, who is another Egyptian god, and he has this giant crocodile head and bites Frenchie and kills him. Frenchie dies. So they all run off to Gina's diner. And it's right now at the moment, it's just Marlene, Moon Knight. Well, it's Mr. Knight at this point and Gina. And they kind of eat and Gina says, you know, I'm going to stay here. The diner is a safe place. They're yeah. able to, even though the police officer and Sobek was chasing him, once they get in the diner, it's a safe place. Right. And they're they're okay. They can sit and eat some pancakes. It's no like a, another weird transition like it's it's like almost like another mental break so after gina decides to stay behind the original moon knight shows up and they fight yes and uh miss and marlene wakes up and she winds up running away with this new moon knight that showed up so mr knight starts chasing them right and this is where we start to get into some crazy stuff because mr knight goes through a door and when he goes through that door, he becomes what we were talking about earlier, Moonmark. And we're introduced to the story of who Moonmark actually is. Right. And Moonmark is really kind of outlandish because it's in the future and the world has been corrupted by werewolves. Like there was a plague. No one really knew what happened. But all of a sudden, all of the people started turning into werewolves. And it started with the Avengers. And then it was the X-Men. So all the humans have moved to the moon. Because of course that makes sense. Right. And then the werewolves are in spaceships attacking the moon. And right. The, so the moon knights have to scramble into their spaceships and fight off this werewolf invasion. Yeah. And so you've got uh, Moonmark, who is the marine. He's like a space marine, basically. Uh, it's it's it reminds me of Star Fox sixty four. Oh yeah. Like yeah, very yeah. heavily Star Fox sixty four. Yeah. And his pilot is Frenchy at right. this point. And they they are flying at MK one. Uh, it's great. I love it. Uh, I really liked Moonmark actually quite a bit. Yeah. But then he goes into like another door and he turns into Stephen Grant, who is directing a film. Right. And then <laughs> something happens to Stephen and he goes to another door and he's Jake Lockley, who is uh, in a alleyway about to drive a cab. And even a prostitute's like, hey, Jake, you looking for a good time? Right, right. And so he runs into another door and he's back in this pyramid and he sees Seth, who's beaten and weak. And it's this god that Khonshu had told him, like, hey, we're going to have to go and defeat him. And there's this funny scene where he's like, well, hold on, you're Seth. I was sitting here to kill you by Khonshu. And Seth replies with, like, oh, so that's what he told you, huh? You know, it was very one of those, like, and this is how I got here moments. You puppet. You believed Khonshu. Uh, Khonshu is actually the one who's been messing with your mind and has created this entire world you've been running around in lately. Yeah, and basically, Mr. Knight kind of, he freaks out a little bit and he goes and finds Khonshu and he confronts him. 
And this is where Kanshu explains, like, uh, well, I kind of need your body. I need I need a new host. This one's not doing so hot. So, so can we talk about Kanshu the way they've drawn him in this scene for just a second? Yeah, I would love to because it's very unique. Yeah, the they show Kanshu also wearing a suit and tie. Yeah, uh, this nice human body, but on top is this disembodied raven skull, bird skull of some sort. Right, uh, and it it's kind of dastardly looking. Like if you look at the way that the skull is drawn, it's very heavy-handed pencil drawing compared to everything else. So it stands out really heavily. Yeah, so it's like an unfinished... I love the way you describe that. It's an unfinished pencil drawing on top of this watercolor painted world so he just he doesn't exist in the world right you can tell that this is i feel like this is the only thing that you can tell is really kind of a figment of mark's imagination because he just doesn't fit in with the world so you have to look at it like either this is truly a figment of his imagination or conchu is truly a god that is talking to mark and you really can't tell conchu during the confrontation flat out says i need a new host mark Will you will be will you be my new host? This body is failing. Will you allow that to happen? And he just says no. Wait, what? Yeah. And Kanji replies with like, wait, what do you mean no? <laughs> you can't say no to me. Yeah. And so they're on top of this giant pyramid having this conversation, and Mark Spector just jumps off. <laughs> He's like, no. And splat. They show Mark Spector dead on the ground at the bottom of this pyramid. Oh, but wait, there's more. Because he opens his eyes. And he's Stephen Grant. And he's Stephen Grant waking up next to Marlene serving some hot coffee. A hot coffee, yeah. yeah. Can you imagine, though, like, they make it sound like it's just a nightmare. Like, it was just one big bad nightmare. He just wakes up. Yeah. And suddenly he has to deal with uh, a ball and a gala, a fundraiser happening at Mercy Hospital, which is the same hospital he was at at the beginning of this entire series. But he's also a director of Moon Knight. The movie. The movie. The the featured film of Moon Knight. And Marlene is going to play the part of Stained Glass Scarlet. Right. And it's really ridiculous. This is uh, this issue really reminds me a lot of like a Deadpool issue. Because you've got Stephen Grant walking around talking about how shitty of a character Moon Knight is. Oh, never let Marvel talk me into this. Moon Knight is a third-rate character at best. And then Marlene replies, well, just look at Ant-Man. It, <laughs> it bombed in the U.S., but it was successful overseas. It was huge overseas. It was yeah. huge. <laughs> so you're going to be fine. You're going to make tons of money, Stephen Grant. Not so much. He's pretty ha- like unhappy about the fact that he's filming Moon Knight in general. It, I just love the fourth wall breaking. I do, too. It's freaking beautiful. It is. They did a really good job with it. But uh, then he has a mental break, and he jumps into Jake Lockley's body. Of course he does. Yeah, so they're headed to the fundraiser at the mental hospital that he just escaped from, and he decides, ah, this is too dangerous. Oh, right. The cab driver's like, oh, you don't want to go to Mercy Hospital. That place is much too dangerous for a gentle soul like Stephen Grant. Right. Enter Jake Lockley. And this is the moment where we would have some weird, crazy transitional music and light strobing if it was a TV show, because now all of a sudden it's a whole different art style. And it's Jake Lockley. Yeah, and now you have strong blue light coming from the edge and this red light coming up from the top right. right. So it's two different colors on the face. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we're jumping into Jake Lockley's mind and he is uh, like taxiing around Crawley for some reason. Or he like runs into him in an alleyway. Who knows? Crawley shows up and Crawley's like, hey, don't you remember when we escaped from that hospital? Yeah. And that's where Jake Lockley goes. Uh, what? Wait, what? That was real. And Crowley goes, yeah, like. Just a couple days ago, we escaped. You don't remember any of that? Oh, Not really, no. This is bad. Yeah, and then we uh, jump to Moonmark right. out of the blue. So Moonmark takes over, and the Earth has been taken over by werewolves. Humans are moved to the moon. 
And not only is it being attacked by just werewolves in general in spaceships, it is being attacked by their general, Lupinar. Who, I mean, <laughs> come so on. Ridiculous. Can you imagine reading this without knowing about the werewolf story, though? It would why, be ridiculous. Why? why would you insert this random werewolf story with General Lupinar? But it does. That's what's happening. Now you know the uh, true original story. So it makes a little, asen- little sense why we would tie werewolves into the story of right. Stephen Grant. Right. Mark Spector, Moon Knight, and he gets bitten by yeah. Lupinar, and that's when that issue ends, is like him getting bitten by Lupinar. There are some awesome panels of the two of them fighting in that art style, and I love it, by the way. Like, it's just so heavy sci-fi. Like, it's just cool. You know, I love that stuff. And then, so when he gets bitten, then he jumps back to Jake Lockley, who's uh, gets in a car wreck, and he's back with Frenchie. Yeah, was, like, like in Frenchie's the in the car, and they get in a car wreck, and then the car's not wrecked, and it's, it's really like some weird stuff's happening here. And then Jig Lockley opens the door to Gina's diner. And inside Gina's diner are all of these dead people, and Gina is one of them. Uh, the other ones, we're not really sure if they're anyone relative. Just random, or just random people. Yeah. Uh, but who is there to arrest him? Billy, and, Billy Bobby. and Bobby. Call back. Yeah, like the way it all ties together, I'm just in love with this story. It's just a little too convenient, but it's an interesting way for this to all pan out. It so is. They arrest uh, Jake Lockley and they bring him back to the precinct. And here's something I got to bring up because it cracks me up. <laughs> they they ask him. They're like, "Okay, Mark, why were you in Gina's diner with a fake mustache glued to your face?" It's so great, you know, and it's great because in the original series, like Mark Spector, whenever he turned into Jake Lockley, he just put on this little cabbie hat driver and that was it. There was no mustache. But in the newer stuff, he's like fake gluing on these mustaches. And I just I love the idea of him transitioning, like pulling that out of his wallet, you know, and he's like like an envelope or not an envelope, but like a stamp, like he's got to lick it and like smack it on. I'm Jake Lockley now, you know? <laughs> and plus, he actually has a disassociative identity disorder. So Jake Lockley takes over. He's like, oh, time to put on the mustache. Yeah. Shtick. Well, and, and that's the sad thing is, is like whenever I was reading it initially, I was like, this is ridiculous. But now that I'm reading it from a perspective of him having a personality disorder, I feel awful for him. Like this poor guy never knows who he is or what part of the world he's in. He's got these massive gaps in memory. But let's let's dive back into the story. I digress. He's accused of killing people. Um, They're interviewed by Billy and Bobby. Uh, Dr. Emmett shows up as Detective Emmett. Right. Uh, She's accusing him of these things. Uh, When it gets a little too intense, he jumps back to Stephen Grant for a page or two. And then when uh, he's ready to deal with it, he jumps back to being interviewed by these three guys. Now, let me tell you how they do that, though, because it's really funny because they're interviewed like Dr. Emmett or who is Detective Emmett at this moment is talking to Jake Lockley. And he's the the actor is like, hold on, I messed up my line. Steven, can we pause? And Steven Grant goes, cut, cut, cut. Wait, what's going on? Okay, action. And then when they show action, it's Jake Lockley saying action. So they're splitting back and forth between it being filmed a movie and him being in the movie and it being real. And I love that you bring that up because I completely missed it the first time I read it. Like I was seeing what was happening, but it didn't cue in that when he needed a break from the interview with these uh, three people, he would go to Stephen Grant. Yeah, it's like he just takes a complete step back. Like, have you ever been given advice where someone is like, if you're in a bad situation, just take a step back and look at it from a third-party perspective? He's literally doing that. <laughs> but then he's creating narratives around why he's stepping back. So, yeah, it was, oh, man. So we're finally back to Jake Lockley being interviewed, and he just knows that it's the Midnight Man and killing then- these people. And he has to prove that he's innocent. So he 
finally gets free somehow, and he goes out. Jake Lockley becomes Moon Knight, and they track down Midnight Man. Yeah. Who and, has Marlene in his arms. And it's one of those really big, awesome throwbacks to Crowley being kind of this all-knowing human, because he sees Crowley. Crowley's trying to convince him that he like needs help. Like, hey, you kind of left me back there with Anubis, asshole. Come find me. Come get me. You know, and... The whole time, Moon Knight is like, what are you talking about? And so this is when Crowley's like, oh, God damn it. You're stuck in one of those loops, aren't you? And Crowley goes, all right, well, fine. I can't convince you. Go to these exact coordinates. That's where Midnight Man is. Yep. And Jake Lockley, because <laughs> uh, he's talking to Jake Lockley the whole time. Then you see Jake Lockley open the trunk of the taxi, and there's the Moon Knight uniform. And then we're back to Steven and back to Moonmark. And there's lots and lots of crazy transitions back and forth, 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 back and forth. And finally, we watch all three of them walk through a door at about the same time. Right. And they all show up. All three of them show up in a different location, and who's looking at them? Mark Spector is standing there, and all he says is, hey, fellas, we need to talk. Like, hey, let's get this figured out, you know? So all four personalities are in one place at one time. Mark Spector can finally deal with everything that's going on in his own brain. Yeah, and he is able to sit there and confront each and every one of them, and as he confronts them, they begin to start to disappear, and he's starting to kind of consolidate all of these different personalities back into just himself. And finally, last standing is Mark Spector as Mr. Knight in the very nice uh, suit and tie version of Moon Knight. Yeah. And he decides that he has to do what, Wes? He has to make a journey home. Yeah. He's got to go back to the hospital. It is the classic three-act storytelling. It's uh, the setup and then him dealing with uh, how to get back. And then it's the actual journey home. Yeah. And I I really, really love the way that they handled this. It reminded me a lot of the car chase from the most recent Mad Max movie where the whole movie is just like a two and a half hour long car chase, but you have no idea that you're just watching a car chase. You know what I mean? There's so many great things going on around. That's exactly what this is. It's him disassociating and then coming back home. And so much other stuff is happening with it. It's, It's just great. First thing on his journey home. He has to retrace his steps. So right. we are literally going backwards of all the story that was told in the first eight or nine issues. And now in issue 10, we're going back to where he started. He has to go back and find Gina in the diner. And she decides that she's going to stay in the diner because she's waiting on her sons. Like they're going to show up eventually. So she stays and she feeds them and she kind of explains to him like, hey, this is a safe place for me to be right now. I'm going to wait on uh, Ricky and Ray to show up. Then he has to make it back to Anubis. Where he, in order to make a deal for Crawley's soul, he has to go and find something for Anubis. And then there's this really cool scene of Mr. Knight just like diving into the sidewalk, which turns into this cosmic panel. And you were describing it as like it has the pills and then the stars. And it's almost like his history lined up in a few pages almost. And it's got like him diving into the universe. And in the background, the universe is made up of pills. And like it's really cool. The artwork for this is incredible. And he comes out of the sky, which turns into water. So it shows him diving out of water into this really strange Egyptian type world. Yeah. And I think they just call it Elsewhere and Elsewhen. They never give it like a name, like the the other void or something. You know, it's just Elsewhere and Elsewhen. And that's where he gets captured by these people on giant bugs and he gets put in a prison cell. That's where he finds Amput, who is Anubis's wife. Right. And I mean, obviously, he sent him there to go and get his wife back. Why not just say that in the beginning? Hey, go find my wife. I could really use her. Yeah. 
But that's not with Anubis. He's going to operate Anubis in mystery. Is, well, he says, like, you'll know it when you see it. <laughs> and he knew it when he saw that, it. To be fair. Yeah. So this entire time, uh, they're jumping back and forth between two separate stories. But let's go ahead and finish up the Egyptian side of the story. He finds input in a prison cell. Right. And so at that point in time, all of these Egyptians are going to kill Moon Knight. They've got him up on the chopping block. They're about to kill him. And it's almost like a Deus Ex thing because the real Moon Knight shows up to save him. And you explained this to me. That it's not actually uh, Khonshu. I thought that it was Khonshu, but you were explaining that it's actually Jake Lockley in the Moon Knight suit. Exactly. It's his three personalities. And the last time we saw Jake Lockley was when he was dressed as Moon Knight. And he had just found that suit. Right. So you've got Moon Knight comes down, gets him off the chopping block, and then off from right screen shows up Stephen Grant with Amput. He's like, he's oh, like, I found Amput. Found her. There she is. That, that she's there. Let's go. Come on. Let's get out of here. And how are we going to get out of here? Uh-oh. Moon Mark shows up yeah. in his spaceship and right. guys jump on board pew, pew. so moon mark shows up they all hop in the spaceship and then he flies them back to anubis <laughs> and we the next panel is just anubis with crawley and all three of the personalities stepping off of the spaceship with Amput. i gotta tell you when we describe it it's so ridiculous it is you jump back on a spaceship to go find anubis but it's so it's it's very heartfelt and endearing to some extent because in the previous issue he had just dealt with all of his different personalities and then in these issues, he they come back and save him, and they tell him, Mark, we'll always be here for you when you need us. And there's something about that that's like, uh, it's kind of heartwarming. He's learned to deal with it, and he's in control. He just yeah. doesn't randomly jump anymore, is sort of the idea kind they're playing of. with. Yeah, yeah, and I really like that. Now, interspersed about this entire story has been the retelling of the Bushmen origin story from before that we told you all about. And I got to tell you, when you're reading these three or four issues back to back to back, uh, it's a little confusing because you're in Bushman land, and then you're in Egyptian land, elsewhere, elsewhere, and then you're back to Bushman story. And then sometimes you're also filming a movie. And sometimes you're with Stephen Grant. Yeah. And I love it. I love the back and forth of this storytelling that Lemire's doing. But for us, it's going to be a lot easier if we just take one at a time. Right. So during all this time, we see this big background story where we see Mark's father kind of realizing like, hey, he's got some issues that he's dealing with, and he's created all these imaginary friends that turn out to be Stephen Grant and Jake Lockley. Well, he gets diagnosed with DID by Dr. Emmett, by who's Dr. a Emmett. real doctor that his father spoke to. Right. And he's kind of like standing outside of the door, listening to the doctor explain to his father what's going on with him when Khonshu shows up to him for the first time as a little kid. And basically says, like, hey, you're mine. Like, you will become mine. And then you see him in the military a few years later, and uh, they're going back and forth about him having these issues. Like, they show him on sentry duty or out in front of the sentry duty. He's in the minefield, and they're all like, dude, what are you doing? Why right. are you out there? And they find out he was actually at a hospital. He was at Putnam hospital at one point with personality disorders and since he lied to them on his entry form they now dishonorably discharge mark specter from the military right and now this is when he runs into frenchy and he befriends him and at first uh the french man hires him to do a couple of jobs together they become good buddies and then they're introduced to the bushman who hires them to do a job together the Bushman's going out, and he's attacking these civilians. He's wanting to rob the treasure. It's right back to the origin yeah. story we talked about at the beginning of the episode where Mark Spector refuses the orders from Bushman. Bushman kills him. Right. And now the cool thing about this story, and probably one of the biggest reasons we brought it back up, is that Lemire did something a little bit different. During this entire background origin story, Khonshu keeps reappearing, and it's, it's this bird head that appears on these random people. So throughout this background story, he'll be talking to a general that's dishonorably discharging him and he blinks and then like the conchu head is on the general talking to him 
And they, he always kind of says these mystifying, like, you're going down the right path. You're heading my way. You know, kind of like almost leading him towards where he wanted him to go. Exactly that. It's really fun all the way through. Uh, so you have this modern telling of... Mr. Knight going back into the pyramid after he deals with Anubis. He's going back into the pyramid to confront Khonshu, and then you see him going through the Bushman story, leading him back to being killed by Bushman and finding himself in the tomb of Pharaoh Seti. Right, and this is when everything kind of starts to become a time warp because he is in the tomb and he's also back at the mental institution, and you're not really sure if it's present or past. They're melding together. We see Mark get captured by the orderlies. They inject him with some serum. He passes out, and Mark is killed by the Bushmen at about the same time. And then they, uh, then after that, they're bo- uh, the bodies of Mark Spector are both unconscious or dead. Right, and it's great because you see these panels lined up right next to each other, and every panel is almost identical, but in a different situation, different scenarios. It shows Khonshu picking up the body of Mark Spector and placing it on a table, whether it's in the the tomb, or if it's on the table to get electric shock therapy. Right. Uh, and it's really interesting because Khonshu is actually talking to him this entire time, and he's telling Mark, your past and present are intermingling, like the different aspects of your broken mind. And he's really confirming, for Mark at least, that he, he's broken down, and he's at this point where like he doesn't know if he's in the past, he doesn't know if he's in the present, but all things are happening sort of at once. And there's this beautiful scene where the electric shockwave hits him and wakes up the present Mark at the same time that Khonshu brings back the past Mark to life. And I thought that was so well done. I really, really loved that. So after he's back to life in uh, the tomb, Mark Spector's able to free himself in what I'm calling the present, where he's on the electric shock table. Right. And then he beats up the orderlies, he beats up Emmett, and he finally makes it back up the same stairs he walked earlier to confront Khonshu for the final time. And he's standing up on top of this building, which I can only assume is the mental hospital that he's been stuck in. And he sees Khonshu standing there in that dark night suit, just waiting on him. Just waiting. Just waiting. And then as Mark Spector approaches him, Khonshu conjures up the werewolf from before. He conjures up Bushman. He has to fight a few of his earlier foes. Right. And then he defeats them. You're all just madness inside of my mind. I know that now. And finally, he walks up to Khonshu and puts his hands on Khonshu's skull. And then you see each of the different personalities grasp the skull. Yeah. It's so cool because all three of them are grasping it. And as they do, it turns to dust. And they all say, we never needed you, Khonshu. We are Moon Knight. It's just great because it's the final melding of all of these personalities coming together and creating Mark Spector. You know, it's it's really beautiful. And then he's back in regular old good old New York on the top of a building as Mr. Knight. And you see him take this almost like ski mask Mr. Knight outfit that he's created for himself and he pulls it over his face like he's ready to fight some crime. And that's the end of the series. And it was so well told. It was. And I'm so glad we were able to get it down into about 15 minutes. That's pretty amazing for two people like me and you. Yeah, no, and it's really incredible. Everyone really should go read it. Don't listen to us just talk about it. It's really worth reading. It's too well done. The artwork's too beautiful to not go read it yourself. However, if you don't want to go find this series. At this point, you can now jump into the most recent series released by Marvel. It's called Marvel Legacy. It's Marvel issue number 188. I believe the title of this newer series is Crazy Runs in the Family, 
and it's by a man named Max Bemis. And I got to say, I really, really enjoyed his series in general. He's introduced some great characters. He's introduced a few new villains that I don't think anybody would see coming. And he's brought back some great old foes, too. There's some things that are said that had me rolling on the floor laughing from Bushman in this series. It, it really, you got to go pick it up. Wes, I wish you had read it. I didn't on purpose, so we would not ruin the series for any new readers. I know. This is where you need to start, is with number 188. It is, but I need you to read it so we can come back and talk about it later. I promise I will, because I, I am super excited. I have fallen in love with Moon Knight over the last few weeks of reading these issues. He is a really fun character that Doug Munch created 40, 50 years ago. Yeah, he is a great, great character. I absolutely love him, and I'm going to tell you, Bivis introduced a character named Sun King that we may have mentioned earlier. He may be one of my favorite current comic book characters. And that's pretty heavy. That's saying a lot. Yeah, like he is just a great, great character. You got to check him out. He's a lot of fun. So we've talked about the past of Moon Knight. Let's talk about the present now. How does he fit into normal modern day culture? Well, it's interesting because there have been a lot of rumors about maybe a Netflix special. But with all the stuff that Netflix is doing as far as getting rid of kind of the Marvel and stuff and whatnot, we don't know what's going to happen there. Uh, you know, MCU's talked about doing their own series and Disney's kind of got their own streaming service coming up. So maybe they're going to do something with it. We don't really know. Uh, he has showed up in a couple of the MCU's animated series as kind of these one-off characters though. Uh, he was in an amazing Spider-Man animated. He was in like an Avengers animated thing, but that's really it. I had never heard of Moon Knight until we had talked about characters to do for this podcast. Never knew he even existed. He was completely out of the mainstream as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and he's shown up in a bunch of stuff. I mean, he's in some old Hulk comics. Like, he's in some old Spider-Man comics. He took part in uh, the Civil War series. Yeah, he's he's in a little bit of everything, uh, but he's not kind of a mainstay. I will tell you, the one I would love to see as a, maybe like a Netflix special, I guess you could say, like a 12 episode miniseries would be Bendis's work on it because Bendis did a great thing where he kind of introduced Spider-Man, Captain America, and Wolverine as being separate personalities for Mark Spector. So you've got Moon Knight dressed up as Moon Knight fighting enemies as Wolverine. And it's great. I love it. I really think like if you're going to read one Moon Knight special, go read what Bendis wrote. And that brings us to a question that I had for you. All right. Adam. Out of all the personalities that Moon Knight has introduced over the years, which personality is your favorite? I gotta tell you, I really like Jake Lockley, but only after having read the most recent series. Because he is he just does some great stuff in it that I think is really out there that I'm like, oh my god, I can't believe you did that, Jake. <laughs> and uh when I when I was thinking that Lockley is also my favorite character. Okay, yeah. No, no doubt about it. Like, Stephen Grant's a Playboy billionaire. I can't really make any connection with that. Moon Knight is a well-adept mercenary hero. Can't really connect with that. But Jake Lockley, he's your regular guy. Sure. And it's interesting that you think only the modern version of Lockley is what you connected with. I liked him from the very beginning. See, I liked him from the beginning, but the modern, like, the most recent version of Jake Lockley is on another level, man. Like... Some of the stuff that he gets into, you gotta you gotta go read it, Wes. But in the earlier tellings, he's the guy that walks into the diner. He buys everybody's meal for the night. Everybody is in love with Jake Lockley. I'd love to be that guy. Yeah. Walk into the diner and be like, hey, waitress. Hey, Gina, it's good to see you again. She's like, the regular? Yeah, I'll have the regular. And you sit down and you eat it. Sure, but if you think about it from this perspective, Jake Lockley is what keeps them all tied together. 
If you pull Jake Lockley out of this mix, Stephen Grant can't accomplish half of the stuff that Jake Lockley can. Moon Knight wouldn't be able to have all the information he needs. Like, he would not be able to be nearly as successful without Jake Lockley. Definitely the linchpin of the, of the entire team. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so what do you think about Moon Knight, man? Moon Knight, love him. I'm going to go read this latest series. I can't wait, wait to read 188. I didn't want to ruin it or even be tempted to talk about it for this episode. So as soon as we're done, I'm going to read that. Yeah, uh, you better because I need someone to talk to you about it. So well, if you guys are listening to this and you've read 188 up to now, send me a message on Twitter or something. I'm at The Real Simzo because I want to talk about this series. <laughs> and I'm uh, Wes, at Wes the GM on Twitter. Find us, talk to us. Thank you all very much much this has been another episode of the comic book cabinet 